What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. This episode is taken from one of my Monday live streams where I'm just going over Bitcoin headlines and some macro headlines. If you want to hear the full version, uh, I will link to that down in the show notes. And also, guys, join me Monday, Wednesday, Friday around midday for my live streams. Uh, you can go to YouTube, BTC, Market Update is the channel. You can join me on Twitter, live, at Ansel Lindner, and Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Check out bitcoinandmarkets.com for all of my content to keep up with everything I'm putting out there. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so there. Links to Strike and Cash App to send some Bitcoin are also available on the website. I'll link to those down in the show notes too. So, all right, guys, let's get into this short clip of the live stream. Okay, next story here is Texas would create state-issued gold-backed currency. Talked about this on the Telegram server. I mean, this article just shows how naive even people in the gold bug space, because it's from Shift Gold, even people in the gold bug space are incre incredibly ignorant about the history of recent history of money. Not, I mean, they probably can tell you how many grains of silver constituted a dollar in the year 1842. All right. But they can't tell you that there was a digital, a gold backed digital currency in the 1990s. It's just stunningly naive and, and ignorant about this stuff. So they say gold backed currency, uh, sorry, a gold backed digital currency would create an alternative and allow individuals and businesses to avoid a CBDC. I mean, Texas doesn't have to do this. There are many gold backed currencies already out. The famous one from several decades ago was Liberty Reserve. It was based in Costa Rica and they backed the dollars, the digital dollars by gold reserves. So there's all sorts, you know, and that failed. Pretty much every digital gold has failed because it's still a separate commodity. Okay. So you can't have a decentralized network with a physical good. That's what makes the Bitcoin revolution so incredible because it actually has a native currency. It's completely different. Um, another quote they had at the root of the move toward a CBDC is the war on cash. The elimination of cash creates the potential for government to track and even control consumer spending. That is true. CBDC gives government more control over the supply and the use of money but it is not a war on cash. A CBDC is a form of cash. Cash is the form of money that extinguishes debt or doesn't create debt in the transaction. If I pay with a credit card, there is debt on the back end. I mean, I don't really necessarily have to, I mean, if I use a debit card, I don't necessarily have to worry about it. If I use a credit card, I have to pay it later, right? It creates a debt. Uh, even a check, old day paper check, that creates a debt that is settled on the back end by the banks. Okay, so um, cash does not create debt in any way. It is instantly settled. And that's what a CBDC is. And so a CBDC is cash. Now, the thing is that this form of cash takes the, the power of supply and issuance and use even 
of this money away from banks. Today, banks control the supply of money through loans. The Federal Reserve doing QE is not money printing. The government borrowing money to spend it today, taking money out of savings to spend, is not money printing either. The only form of money printing that we really have today um, is banks making loans, credit creation through the private sector banks. So the a CBDC takes the that control of money supply and the use of money through banking regulation, set out of the control of the banks and puts it back under the control of the government. Uh, so that is what a CBDC is. And of course, Shift Gold doesn't know this. Again, they display great ignorance in all things money and all things digital currency. Okay. Um, next story is Russia becomes second most powerful BTC miner in the world. And this was a story out of Crypto Slate that I linked to. And here's a quote from the article. The U.S. remained in its position as the leading country with the most significant mining power as it generates three to four gigawatts of mining capacity. After Russia, which, uh, sorry, with one gigawatt, the Gulf countries follow as the third largest mining power in the world with around 700 megawatts of combined power. So very interesting. Russia is coming up quickly. And I have been reporting on a lot of this uh, news out of Russia with state-sponsored hedge funds raising money to invest in Bitcoin mining, uh, state-sponsored Bitcoin mining operations, all of that oh, just over the last six months or so. So Russia is coming in to this game big time. And that alone gives it some sort of vote of confidence, uh, some sort of air of great power competition, which is what people like Jason Lowry and his software, Soft War book, what that promotes is this uh, Bitcoin as a proxy for great power competition. And yeah, so I think all of these kind of pieces are falling into place that this will become the meme. We'll see. It, first, Bitcoin has to defeat all the crazy climate people. So, all right, the next story is another protocol for pictures on, oops, on a Bitcoin, on Bitcoin, Bitcoin stamps. And then I quote, tweet this, uh, there is a new protocol in town, Bitcoin stamps. There's a new way of storing images directly on Bitcoin, but they're very different from ordinals. Here's what the transactions look like. So what this does is it takes a image, you encode it in like base 64, then you break up that encoding and you put it onto UTXOs. So you have to break up a Bitcoin transaction into many outputs. And on each output, you put as much data on there as you can. So this is highly bloating, very different than ordinals. Now, the problem to this is I saw a reply to this tweet thread from Trust Machines Co., I guess is the handle here on Twitter. But a reply to that said, oh, but these things can't be transacted. And that kind of makes sense because you would have to take all of those UTXOs, bundle them, and send them. I guess you could do it, but it would be extremely expensive. Think about you create one of these Bitcoin stamps and it has um, a thousand UTXOs. I mean, your transaction fee alone would be hundreds of dollars probably. And as Bitcoin fees go up in the future, it will just become more and more expensive. Now, this is permanent bloat on the Bitcoin network. Um, 
And if these are one Satoshi outputs, that will be permanent bloat because you can't, it's not um, economically feasible to consolidate one Satoshi UTXOs. Um, but anyways, and another thing is that if you do end up spending one of those UTXOs, it will break the stamp and then you can prune all the data necessary for that. So it's kind of an attack on Bitcoin. It's kind of not. It's kind of just a very inefficient use of possible block space. Um, and I don't see these getting popular where I do see ordinals getting somewhat popular, at least to become somewhat of a mainstay in the Bitcoin ecosystem. These ordinals and inscriptions will be, but I don't think Bitcoin stamps will be. I think this will be kind of something that's possible, but nobody ever does it. Uh, maybe very few people. So anyways, that is an update on Bitcoin. And now to the macro side of the house, because this is Bitcoin and markets. The first Bitcoin macro centered podcast starting back in 2016, continuing to today. And so we talk about all things macro and Bitcoin. But the de-dollarization derangement syndrome hits a new all-time high. And I coined that term uh, because it it just is a crazy thing to think that the U.S. dollar, which you can see on this pie chart here, and I think I posted that in Telegram, scrolling up if my mouse will scroll properly. Just double checking. Yeah, I posted in there. Okay, you can see on this pie chart, the U.S. dollar is 60% of global reserves. The euro is about 20%. Japan is about 5%. Great, uh, the British pound is about 5% as well. But the U.S. backs up the European Union. I mean, just look at this stuff with NATO going on and with Russia and Ukraine. The U.S. is running the foreign policy of Europe. I guess you would call them the Davos elite, but it's mainly Washington is the power in this relationship. The U.S. dollar backs the euro because what are the foreign exchange reserves of the ECB? Mostly dollars. Same with Japan. Same with Great Britain. So these are all dollar currencies. They're dollar derivatives, really. So this pie chart just understates it as well, that the amount, the strength of the U.S. dollar is unassailable. Now that you might think, oh, well, that's crazy coming from a Bitcoiner. How could you say that? Well, it's because of the form of the dollar as being credit-based money. It's based off debt, not based off a commodity, right? And the way we got to this point is that the world had... How, what's the term I usually use? I can't think of it right now. It was not saturated by debt yet. And the debt was highly productive. You've heard of the things like leapfrogging technology. So Africa and even Southeast Asia didn't have to put in landmines. They could go straight to cellular technology, right? So this leapfrog effect made credit highly, highly productive in the initial uses of it. And so they liked it. And they used dollar debt because they they could get money at 5% instead of if they took it in their own currency, it would be 20% or something, you know? So they, they used dollars plus the, they were, a lot of these countries are exporting to the United States. And they, so they had a trade surplus with the United States. So they had dollars coming in to service this new debt. A lot of people think that, you know, we need to export dollars. We kind of do. It would be nice if we could export enough dollars to service the debt, but Dollars can be printed anywhere. Hong Kong banks can print dollars. Singaporean banks can print dollars. Banks in Mumbai and Frankfurt and Johannesburg, they can all print dollars. 
by making dollar-denominated loans. A lot of these countries offer even dollar-denominated government debt. So the dollar is super, super dominant. It's not in any risk of going away. But the problem is being credit-based money, it has diminishing marginal returns. So now it's not as productive to take out new debt. Plus you have all this debt that you have to service. So the economy is slowly grinding down. There is a dollar shortage or it feels like there's a dollar shortage because you're not having as much growth to service the debt. So let's say you're growing 10% and you your debt service was about 5%. Average interest rate that you paid on your debt was 5%. You could service that decently because you're growing. But now what if you're growing at 3% and your average debt load is 5%? then you know, you're unable to keep up with your debt payments and you feel like you have a shortage of dollars because you can't pay off your debts and you become insolvent. So uh, this is, it manifests as a dollar shortage and that's a deflationary pressure. This will continue. There's no way out. The end is a deflationary grind, not an inflationary collapse. And so the only way out to return to growth and to save any sort of international trade, because when you have debt-based money, it's always someone else's debt. And in a world of deglobalization, where the U.S. is using the dollar system as a, as a weapon, you want to go away from counterparty risk, go away from using money that's other people's debt, and going back to using commodity money. It contains the trust within itself. You know, I don't have to trust the U.S. government that my gold coin is gold. Or that my Bitcoin is Bitcoin. So the, the money encapsulates the trust in itself. And that's what we're going to go back to. Now, that doesn't mean the dollar has to collapse either. The dollar can be backed by Bitcoin. Easy peasy. So all those people that are saying, you know, the dollar is going to collapse and stuff. Um, there is no de-dollarization going on. If anything, I bet in five years time, the dollar will just become more entrenched. The share that maybe the Chinese yuan has here, which is 2.8% on this pie chart. That might go up to 5%, but the US dollar is maybe going up to 65%. You know, The euro is going to lose some to the dollar, etc. So the dollar is not in any danger of losing its world reserve currency status. It's in danger of losing its backing, which is the credit. So it needs new backing is what I'm trying to say. Okay. That's going to do it for this quick clip, guys. If you want to listen to the entire episode, the link is down in the show notes. You've been listening to Bitcoin and Markets. Check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. All other appropriate links are in the show notes to charts and whatever. So, all right, guys. See you on the next one.